Our conversation with photorealist artist Kenneth Hershitson is about to begin. You will soon discover he does know Jack. This will make sense soon. Stay tuned. Welcome to Art Ladders, The Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. This podcast is focused on interviews, features, and stories about art. It's for artists and art lovers. I'm Val. I'm the abstract artist in the group, joined by Armin, the realist. everybody and welcome to Art Ladders. This is episode 67 and we will be having a wonderful conversation here with the artist Kenneth Hershitson and he is in the house right now and Armin's in the house and Armin how are you? I'm doing Good great. It's, this is exciting to to interview a friend, a fellow realist out there and uh, uh, somebody whose art I admire a lot so everything is aligned here. Oh, it is. I am excited about this conversation because you know Ken probably more than I do. So I'm anxious to hear you two talk shop and yeah. uh, we'll get into this. I All want right. to give a quick introduction for Kenneth here. He is um, a self-taught teaching artist. He teaches a lot and just wonderful classes in acrylics and color theory and all of that. And so you'll hear more about that in the interview. Anxious to hear that. He's a member of the National Oil and Acrylic Painters Society and also of the International Guild of Realism. I'd like to hear about both of those through this conversation. He is a photorealist. He spent a long time on the Northwest Coast. We're gonna hear about those adventures out there. And now he is back in the Midwest Detroit specifically. So welcome, Ken. Welcome, welcome. Hi, Val. Hi. Great to be here. Oh, glad to have you. And I would like to start us out on your journey. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I sent you a few little, um, we've been emailing back and forth. And one of the things I'm excited to hear about, and like I do with many of the other artists, is the early beginnings, the germ of the seed that created Kenneth the artist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I look at it as having two beginnings. Um, one is the actual beginning, my love for art, which which I gave it some thought. And I can trace back to like when I was in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. I remember drawing, you know, every kid like learns how to draw those little stick cubes, little line cubes. And I remember when I first first drew a shadow under one and it all of a sudden it went from a two-dimensional object to a three-dimensional object in a simplistic form, of course. But, um, you know, I trace back to that as my beginning is because it it connected me with the, it's, it's kind of a dynamic of, I can't believe I just turned a two-dimensional plane into a three-dimensional object. And, and I fell in love at that moment. Mm -hmm. And on my own, you know, just, uh, just, studying as a kid i would draw all the time what i have kind of never heard it um believe it or not i would do these these surrealistic things it started simplistic where i would draw a cube but mm -hmm. draw the shadow of a sphere next to it like oh, it was okay. casting the wrong shadow mm -hmm. i would do things like i would do a cityscape and have it cast a shadow of a forest and and but as a little kid, I would draw airplanes and things like that. It's funny you say that because our logo does that. And it's the AL, but it does a shadow of a ladder. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that logo. <laughs> I, I love that that beginning of surrealism right there when you're talking about cityscape into a forest. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. I, and I, I fell in love with it. And, I, and the artist that I would that I fell in love with were were like Dolly and and mm -hmm. Magritte and a lot of those early uh, more surrealistic. Uh -huh. Yeah. But but when you talk about beginnings, and then I I flash forward to my beginning as a professional artist, which was only about eleven years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So that started when I moved back to Michigan to my hometown of Detroit. And I've heard that story often where people finally get the uh, chance in their life where they have a little more time to dedicate to their love of art and they take off on this adventure and it goes pretty fast and furious for people I'll dedicated say. like you. Yeah. It just yeah, kind I'll of, say. it's like a roller coaster just takes <laughs> off. What happened between those times, between those times you were doing cubes with different shapes to when you're doing, when you're a professional artist, what all happened to you? Well, wow. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I would pick up every now and then I would uh, do a workshop. Mm -hmm. um, I would pay. In fact, let me, let me go back to when I was 17. I entered a little local poster contest for the 25th anniversary of the town that I went to high school in. Mm -hmm. And that was more graphic design. Um, but uh, probably one of the roots of my realism was I went to Michigan State University. Mm -hmm. And as a freshman, I talked my way into a senior level architectural illustration class. Um, I was really into doing architectural and engineering, drawing detailed stuff. Uh -huh. And I aced the class. I loved it. It was all uh, magic markers, uh, ink, and uh, some acrylic for underlays. But I learned illustration, architectural illustration. Okay. Um, that was one thing I did. I would always do signs and different things for people I, where I worked. Sure. People would always levitate to me to to do things for them graphically. Right. But I just loved drawing and painting. Um, I would pick up books, all of those how-to books. Um, not Bob Ross, but... <laughs> But I would take get a lot of the uh, how-to books and and just do all the exercises, and then I would try and stretch it and go, oh, if I could do that, well, maybe I could do this. And uh -huh. so I just would teach myself different methods. It started more in watercolor, actually. Yeah. Um, Was there any kind of family connection to uh, family members that were artists or things like that? Not that I know of. My dad did some more technical type drawing, but. Okay. But there was no one in my family that uh, that uh, did artwork. Okay. So then, so anyway, I, you know, I would just I was a jack of all trades, so to speak, <laughs> and uh, I just would draw whenever I could. Yeah. You know, we all in those days uh, have our career ahead of us. What career path then did you take for the, I guess, the money-making part of this programming? Uh, well, it was interesting. When I, when I was doing my artwork, my parents supported me doing artwork, but they didn't really support me doing artwork for a living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I went to Michigan State University, I chose landscape architecture to first st study in because I thought it would be a kind of a segue between architecture and art. Um, and I enjoyed uh, gardening, things like that. But, but uh, you know, I don't really know where where that. Can you can you ask that question? Sure, sure. So maybe uh, so you you kind of started out in uh, landscape architecture, and did that. Well, for example, I started out as the money as fashion design. I didn't stay in it, oh. and I I haven't used it. So it sounds like maybe the landscape architecture did not become a primary mover for you either in your exactly. career. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And what and you're focusing me, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> because what I chose to do is work for architects. So I was a there you back go. before CAD, I did hand drafting mm -hmm. and I did architectural. And then I segued into doing architecture illustration for architects and did a combination of construction drawings and illustration. Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of kept me through all of my jobs going forward. Yeah. Interesting. that And that is such a good connection with the art to be right. in that environment of architects and designers and just being in that world. You can't help right. but be uh, influenced by art at that point. They're all touch. influenced by it as well, of course. It doesn't sure. sound to me that, you know, it's only been on when you, 11 years ago that you you were a professional artist because everything you did 
had that eye and that yeah. understanding and everything that an artist would use, but you didn't use it into, I just want to make a painting, but used it in a, in a professional manner and whatever job you had at the time. So it's, it's like, it's like taking many, many courses in school, but you took them as a life experience. And I think that's, it's a, even more powerful to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would still do little paintings on the mm -hmm. side. Uh -huh. um, the, the architect I worked for, I used to do churches, just only churches. And, mm -hmm. and I remember he pulled me aside once and, and I asked him, I said, do you enjoy doing this? He says, well, yeah, but my favorite things I do are on the side. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I looked at, I would do little paintings. Um, mm -hmm. I would sure. take photographs wherever I was. Uh, sometimes they were details close up. You know, you're a tourist and people are taking pictures of the vast landscape and you're taking a picture of a manhole cover or something. Right. Mm -hmm. I love mm -hmm. I love doing paintings of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I I love I love that connection with architecture. I think that's and like you mentioned, he wanted to do other things on the side as well. And right. when I when I talk to architects, there a lot of them are painters. A lot of them have right. that going on. So that was a great background. Not only that, but that background taught you, um, it it didn't teach you all the tools of painting, but it taught you the tools of working with papers and, and working uh, with the drafting pencils and pens and the inks. And like you said, the underlay colors. So you're using the materials. So that adds to your vocabulary. And then you're on your way when you do have the chance to, to move on, you know, 12 years, exactly. 12 years ago. So exactly. It's, it I mean, it all taught, makes it sense. The, yeah, it taught the values, you know, mm -hmm. lights and darks, and yeah, lots of things that taught the illustration. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you had I was reading your bio online, and you had some background with uh, Disney. Yes. Tell us what tell us what that was about. <laughs> I, the, you know, that whole Disney Corporation or. What would you call that? Uh, mega, mega group. Right. That's another art filled industry. Yeah, it's it's funny. The uh, I was I started there when I was pretty young in my twenties mm -hmm. at, at Disneyland, and it, okay, I was doing architectural drawings, mm -hmm. and basically the the uh, division I was in was called maintenance engineering, and what my job was, if something went wrong at any of the buildings or rides, I would go out there, take photos, measure, come back to the office and design how to fix whatever was wrong. Oh. So huh. it, was, it was basically architectural drawing again. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't stay there long because I was young and not very smart. I should have stayed. But <laughs> one of the reasons was there was a job there called a grainer. And it was painting. And what it was, it was you would paint all the faux finishes. So a jungle land, you would learn how to paint bamboo stanchions that look like bamboo. And you would, mm -hmm. you know, all the wood grains. And I wanted to go become a grainer and leave my technical job. Uh -huh. And my boss said, no, I'm not letting you go. <laughs> and so that was a, the another time when I was trying to push myself into the painting part right and I ended up leaving and to be honest another reason I left is they didn't allow any facial hair and I liked having a mustache oh, okay <laughs> and you look good in a mustache so I I don't blame you for leaving <laughs> that's great oh but, but it was a fun experience working at Disneyland it really was. I, I bet it was I had a similar stint at an amusement park called King's you, you Island. You had a mustache, Val? No, I didn't have a mustache. <laughs> but I And I was in art school at the time. And I worked at King's Island, which is an amusement park near Cincinnati. And my job was to take people up and down the elevator on the fake Eiffel Tower. And you talk about monotonous. I lasted three days. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I exited the building. <laughs> <laughs> the things we do <laughs> yeah exactly Especially well, I, I often tell my students that 
you know, be careful what you wish for, because if you're working in the arts <laughs> and then you're excited to go home and do art, it's almost more valuable than working as an illustrator or as a graphic artist because you're using that same mindset you know for me it didn't work because I did commission portraiture for three years in Chicago mm -hmm. and it, it it didn't work for me it works yeah. for some it didn't work for me so, yeah yeah it just uh, mm -hmm. and then another major um, company you worked for and I think if I've got this right for a little bit of time is Starbucks yeah yeah I worked for them for almost 15 years uh -huh. uh, I started out, uh, again, doing architectural drawings, and I was doing design, designing stores for their Japan market. Ooh, fun. So it was really a lot of fun to do that. Um, it was very interesting. In fact, I got to travel to Japan once uh -huh. um, to see the stores that we uh, had designed and how, how did they turn out. Mm -hmm. The workmanship in Japan was amazing. I bet, I bet. Uh, I remember one time there was a, a store with all these two foot by two foot maple panels. And I went to touch it with my hand and it popped open and there was an electric panel behind it. And it, and it was like such fine work. I would have, I didn't even know that there was anything behind it, Wow! but, but I worked on designing stores there. I don't know if you ever saw the movie lost in translation. Yes. Yes, yes I, I did. did. Yeah. Well, the Starbucks that, Oh uh, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson met in was my Starbucks. It, it's the uh, it's known as the Shibuya Shtaya store, mm -hmm. and it is the the number one sales volume Starbucks in the world because it sits at the the uh, highest pedestrian count uh, crosswalk, like up to three thousand people cross at that crosswalk you know, each time the light changes, basically. Oh, my gosh. And so I was always very proud of that one. It was a two-story store back before Starbucks built two-story stores uh -huh. because the footprint in Japan is so expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, you would get the smaller uh, square footage on the first floor, and then all the seating would be upstairs. Yeah, okay. That makes oh, sense. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put that movie in the show notes. <laughs> so people can peek at that Starbucks. Yeah. That is it, fascinating. If you look up on, uh, if you Google busiest uh, pedestrian mm -hmm. crosswalk, you'll find, you'll see the uh, the actual building in that whole area. Okay. Okay. I got to see that. But I ended up uh, leaving the architectural design part at mm -hmm. Starbucks mm -hmm. and, and I began to create curriculum and teach the new designers um worldwide because there's designers in Europe, Asia, and America and Canada. And so I, I went more into the technical side of the CAD work mm -hmm. uh, for the actual design. You know, the artwork that is in the Starbucks, how how does that come about? I'm always curious. Interesting. Um, now I want to sell her art to Starbucks. Yeah, I, I want to know the inside story. <laughs> Well, I tried to get one of my paintings in. It yeah. was an old, old painting of mine uh, um, called Favorite Things. It was three copper kettles. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be fitting because Starbucks was going into tea as well. <laughs> but they are into more graphic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And actually more abstract, but more graphic. Uh, in fact, nowadays, it's the... You don't see a lot of artwork anymore in Starbucks, which is sad. Mm -hmm. But uh, they had strict um, guidelines for the art. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I worked on two stores, one in Qatar and one in Saudi Arabia. And back in those days, they didn't allow any artwork that had any part of a human. No mm -hmm. eye, no hand, nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm, I haven't kept up on the Starbucks artwork because it's disappearing. But they used to have some really nice graphic work there, though. They did. Very right, clean. they did. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I figured it was probably, I'm guessing, licensed from the artist to, to be repeated and printed on maybe vinyl covering or something that they would do from store to store. And yeah, uh, yeah. but you do, you're right. You don't see that as much anymore. Right. So. And they... 
interesting thing most people don't know about, they used to have four pallets, four uh, store pallets. Oh, the colors. And so they would name them and like a new store in Seattle and some places you'll see a store across the street from another store. Oh, yeah. And you don't want the same uh, design, the same finishes. So they would have a, a different palette that they would build. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting. Uh, but I'm sure the, the colors they use are very specific for. Yes. For, for everything that's designed, that green that you think about with Starbucks. And I'm drinking out of a coffee cup right now. I remember, right. Reading, I remember reading about. You are on brand, Armin. The uh, logo of, of on Starbucks, how that changed throughout the years. Oh, yeah. And yeah. made it more uh, safe. <laughs> just, it, just... Exactly. There was, it was R-rated, the first one. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Oh, you went through all those logo changes, I bet. That's about that time period, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, made, I started there just after, or I started there when the, when the classic logo that says yes. Starbucks coffee around it. Uh, they had the wording, uh-huh. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, yeah, that was also another interesting, it was a fun place to work. Um, I enjoyed it. And if I didn't have this inner drive to do my artwork, I may still have been there. You might. Now, did you live in, uh, where, where did you live when you did this? In Seattle or? Yeah, when I, I, I actually moved to Washington State in 1986. Okay. And for nine years, I lived on the Olympic Peninsula. Oh, beautiful. Yeah in a town called Port Angeles that's across the water from Victoria and Vancouver Island. Wow. Oh, wow. And again, I was doing uh, architectural or engineering drawing back then, civil engineering, but um, I also worked in a, I was a picture framer in an, an art gallery as well. Mm. Yep, um, that's the go-to for artists. Yeah, you know? I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that. I love I, I love the work in that. And I did too. I did, I did too. I really, yeah, it's, it's yeah. if I didn't have to worry about an income, I would love to have been a picture framer my whole life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. It is a wonderful industry. Well, it sounds really. like all three of us have been... We all did that. Yeah. You learned so much. It was interesting because yeah. you would see art all the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and that would be great. I would be excited to go home and make art. But... <laughs> and, you, and you learn a lot about, when you're in an art gallery, you learn a lot about artists and, and their... Um, I don't know their uh, themes, mm -hmm. body yeah. of work. Yeah, you know that you, you don't see artists that are doing twelve different things. Usually, it's some yeah. it's a signature series, and that's yeah. that came into play when I moved back to Michigan. Yeah, that's an important I, point too. Yeah, people listening about it. About right. Doing. Yeah, it's, and and so I used to when I first moved there, I loved. Uh, at one point, I lived on five acres in the middle of nowhere, and I could hike into the mountains straight from my property uh i like to hike and kayak mm -hmm. um, i also and i don't know if i ever told you this armin but i also had a baseball card shop you did in fort angeles i decided i wanted to get out of doing the technical work and for two years i had a baseball card shop of all things <laughs> well you must have, that must have been an interest of yours yeah 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 yeah. But it, it's also the first place where I got serious about my artwork. There was a there was a courtroom artist named Butch Krieger who he would leave the peninsula and go to Seattle and he would do courtroom artwork. And it was interesting. I took a workshop from him of life drawing. And here's a guy who was teaching me be very, very slow and observe. And I kept thinking, how can you do that when you're a courtroom artist? You know, but I learned my first life drawing from him. And he had uh, some physical issues. So I would go help him on his farm mm -hmm. in exchange for, you know, some workshops. It was, uh, he was a great guy. Those artists have to see things like that. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing that would work for me at all, but. Uh, I always admire them uh, that can pick out those things. Just not, you know, they want that one perfect line, you know. Right. Yeah, I'll never understand. I I can't do that. No, yeah. no. And, you yeah. know, we all, we all have our specialties, and it comes by how we think, and you know, it comes through that. So, 
Right. He did have one really fascinating exercise where we did a uh, charcoal drawing of a nude model. And then he said, okay, I want you all to take a piece of onion skin, tracing paper, and I want you to lay it over this. And now she's going to wear this gauzy top. Mm-hmm. And I want you to draw it in over mm-hmm. that piece, over the what you can see behind the actual body you just painted or drew. And you can see the tuck points and the and how you get the shadows. And it was an interesting uh, exercise. I that is an interesting exercise because it, it would follow form. It would be right. harder to do it like okay, I just want you to do this woman with this top. Once you've drawn her with her anatomy, and then use that as a an understanding of where the the shadows and curves and all those kinds of things is. That's a really good idea. Yeah, as an assignment. So let's go. Well, that, how did you get into to what you do now? So, okay. Uh, when I moved back home to Detroit, uh-huh. I decided I'm not going to my grave without trying my painting. Right. Yeah. I had. If you look at my early paintings, if you put them all in a gallery setting, you would think that five different artists did these. Uh-huh. And it's because. On one painting, I may have been learning how to do, teaching myself how to do glazing. On another painting, scumbling or whatever, you know, I just, so each painting looked a little different. Sure. Um, but when I moved back home here to Detroit, um, I realized if I'm going to try to do this professionally, I am not going to be able to do my landscapes, my still lives I've done, you know, there'd be thousands of other artists I'd be competing against. And after learning what I did and working in the art galleries, I knew that I had to find a a theme, something that would be a signature series. Mm -hmm. So I put, I put myself on a three-year plan where I would build up the infrastructure of the business. The first year I would start painting. I had to pick this signature series. What am I going to do? And then the next couple of years, work towards doing it professionally but so you all i have to go back in time to tell you how about the signature series yeah so it, it is it's the jacks it's called a series called i do know jack mm-hmm. and it started and i can't explain why this happened uh-huh. but, but one day an image popped into my head of a wheel of cheese with a toy jack on top of it. And I remember thinking, where the hell did that come from? Right. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, Jack Cheese, Monterey Jack Cheese, Pepper Jack Cheese. I thought, huh, that's weird. And then for the next 36 years, I would realize, oh, jumping jacks, jackhammer, jackknife. Mm -hmm. And I, I would realize there's all these different phrases in the English language with the word Jack, and I would sketch them out. I would write them down. And when I moved back here, and I was trying to figure out that series, at first, my wife, Wendy, said, "Um, just paint what you love. And I said, well, I went 25 years without a Coney Island hot dog. Maybe I'll paint Coney Island hot dogs. No, no, that's not going to (laughs) work. And then I don't know why I didn't think of it at first, but it was like, I had like 35 of these ideas for Jacks. So I just, excuse me, I just started, the first one was Sky Jack as kind of a conceptual, looser type painting. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like, it's four foot by three foot. And after doing the first few, I mean, the second one, I couldn't believe the avenues that opened up with with a pair of Jacks. That one just, open the doors for me well they they are so interesting in the sense of the what they reflect you know because everything you see on a piece like that is not what's there but what it reflects to be there exactly and that's something that connects me connects my heart to the paintings is i love that um, feeling of reflecting what's outside the edges of the painting Mm-hmm. So the, the observer gets to see what was in the artist's mm-hmm. world beyond that, those edges. Right, right. 
and and it also allows me because i i tried once to paint an abstract painting and someday i'm going to take val's class because i have no concept of how to do abstract paintings um oh that'd be fun <laughs> yeah uh but within the jack everything's abstract within the jack yeah so sure. i I kind of sneak my way into doing abstract that way. Yeah. Dang. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there are those forms that meld together, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when you paint in that manner, you really have to understand and trust yourself and what you see and what you paint. Mm -hmm. yes. You might not understand what you're painting at that point, but if you if you miss it, it might not look right. Yes. Uh, um... And that's something I teach my students is it's, it's the observation. It's paint what you see, not what you think you see. Right, mm -hmm. right. And uh, to be honest, the very first time I I kind of uh, felt that was after reading uh, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. Mm -hmm. Dr. Betty Edwards, it kind of, it, it kind of uh, got me out of that mindset. Um, I tell people when I'm painting a jack, I have no idea I'm painting a jack. Once I get into it, I'm looking at, and I'm sure you you uh, real understand this is, oh, I, this needs to be more blue. This needs to be more curved. Mm -hmm. My brain is nowhere near. Oh, I'm painting something metal. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Takes the pressure. Yeah, you 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 always takes have the pressure to, off. Yeah. You have to go from the observational you of the jack as a whole, and then trust your instinct of what makes that mm -hmm. work in a close view of it. You know. Mm -hmm. Right, um, and and there, there's this thing that I talk about called intellectual realism, where you, I I draw trees, and so you you don't see things like you think you do, you know. Exactly. So your intellect tells you to do one thing because you know a leaf goes this way and this way and that way, but in reality it doesn't. They sag. One goes over the next. They lose all their shape, and you mm -hmm. have to trust your vision. And it sometimes even change things uh, to make it work with your vision that might not be in front of your reference photo. But I'm talking more about the tree things where you can change things. Exactly. Well, you can change things in the jack too because no one knows exactly what's reflected in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do that. But but you hit hit the nail on the head is that every single time that I'm having an issue, difficult time with a part of a painting, it, every single time it's because I'm not observing the reference material correctly. And I'll, I'll do the old turn the thing upside down to sure. try and disconnect from the reality of it. That yeah, usually works. That work, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I turn things upside down because there's that sweet spot. And so I need to work in that sweet spot. So it's never really whatever it's going to be, you know. So it's always flipping around. Mm -hmm. Right, right. One thing I learned while painting these jacks, and I try to teach this too, is um, is there's a, just like in songs, there's a hook mm -hmm. where you may have a couple or as many as three different hooks in a song that you walk away humming it. I try to put some hooks into a painting, mm -hmm. you know, something that catches someone's eye, you know, and it's like anything else. You don't want to do, you don't want to put 12 hooks in there. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but yeah. um, I remember seeing, I think your work first time was in one of the art prize shows. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know which one it was. Right. You, you That you saw? Yeah. I was at in 2015 and 17. Okay. It must have been 15, kind of early on. And, you know, they're very, very photographic. And so you... You know, you you see it from far away, and you oh, you know, I'm sure people say that looks just like a photograph, and I, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Right. And so, yeah, that's how it appears to you, and you you walk up it, and then you see those abstract marks on there, and right. kind of appreciation to it, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah, in 2017, I had to put a sign up that said these are not photographs, and and you know. My work is really not as refined as some of the great realists, hyper realists, yeah. you know, because uh, mine have a lot of, I think you are the one who taught me this, uh, Armin, that it's it's more hyper realism than yes. photorealism. Yes. Because I, because of my illustration background, I have a lot of sharp lines, uh -huh. uh, much like a lot of the early 
uh, yeah. realist. But uh, yeah, if, if I've seen other artists that their work really does look like a photograph, even up close. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but mine, you're right. Mine, you walk up to it and you can tell it's a painting right away. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think that's an interesting fact that it's an illusion from one there, and then you go to it. I mean, a photograph when you get close to it doesn't look like a photograph anymore. <laughs> yeah, because it is not made up of any; it's made up of pixels, and you start seeing those movements across there. So right. I, I guess how we see and how a camera sees is is different. But one of the things I like about your work is trying to figure out what jacket is. <laughs> you know yeah you know you know i've gone over some some ideas for for jacks uh <laughs> and we, we, we might not want to mention here but right. uh, <laughs> oh yeah so do you have a bunch of them in the future you want to do or oh yes i have at least 20 more yeah. oh my goodness um and and i have not been i've been slow at them lately the last one was pepper jack cheese Mm -hmm. and it's that's the one you're behind you right yes okay mm -hmm. you folks can't see it but it looks great <laughs> it really does and and on uh on our postings i'll put more uh images so that you can see these just beautiful paintings they're so fun to see in person i, I can send you some jpegs if you want oh that'd be great i would okay. appreciate i'm that. sure people will have ideas for you too yeah oh yeah. yes in fact, might open in fact i have a running deal I have a running deal with people. Although you have to remember, I, I've spent over almost 40 years now of, of getting these uh, names down ahead of time. Um, but if you come up with an idea I haven't had, you get a free print. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. But um, yeah, I hope to work on this year. I'm trying to choose between three different paintings. One would be Cracker Jack. Mm -hmm. One would be Jackknife. Mm -hmm. And the one I'm hoping to do at some point is uh, Jack Sparrow. Oh. I actually purchased oh, yeah. taxidermy sparrow. Huh. That I'm going to use. I've never painted Good. a bird bird in my life, but I'm uh -huh. going to on this one. Uh -huh. Well, I think what you're saying is is very important for the painter is that, you know, when you do something like a sparrow, you can Google that all you want and you can, you know, yeah. get images on the internet but i do kind of the same thing ken i uh i try to get the real thing when i can and right. so i did this thing with wings and i got some wings from a taxidermist because i mm -hmm. i need it right in front of me mm -hmm. right when i draw trees i hold on to branches maybe it's some kind of zen thing i don't know mm -hmm. but <laughs> there's a there's a connection with that and yeah. i can see that with your work as well yeah, yeah to get the lighting right yeah, yeah. definitely Mm -hmm. And your your medium of choice is acrylic, am I right? You've have you always been an acrylic artist? No, I started. I mean, I I ran the gamut. I did inking. Well, I uh -huh. started with charcoal, pencil, inking, uh -huh. uh, gouache, watercolor. Um, but I I went to acrylic, regular acrylics. Mm -hmm. and I was doing a lot of small paintings, still lives, landscapes. And then I decided I wanted to do some large paintings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And regular acrylics weren't cutting it. They were drying way too fast. Yes. And interestingly enough, uh, an artist that I took some workshops from, he's a West Coast artist who I admire deeply. Mm -hmm. um, his name is Ned Mueller. Mm -hmm. he's, he's a great artist. He's in his 80s now. He used to lead his students on uh, horseback ridings in uh, Central America oh, wow. and do all kinds of different excursions like that. Mm -hmm. One day he says, have you tried open acrylics? And he doesn't even work in acrylics. Mm. And um, uh, I said, no, what are they? And he, and I learned about golden open acrylics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference in doing large paintings for me because that coupled with a Richeson lockbox palette. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can mix all my color strings ahead of time, have them in the palette, and they'll stay usable for six months. Mm -hmm. Really? That long? That's it's the only Yeah, it's the only paint that you can do that with. And it's mm -hmm. it's really been a, a lifesaver because I don't have to keep mixing new paint the next day. And as a lot of people realize with acrylic, 
it's hard to match color because it dries darker. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice to have. So a, how how have you overcome that? Overcome what? The that color it dries match. darker. Do you do you paint lighter than the final image? Do you you know do you put that into the equation when you're painting? Saying okay, I know this is going to dry darker, so I'm going to paint it this color because tomorrow it will be this color. Um, it's subtle enough where it really doesn't matter when you're painting mm -hmm. the original painting. It's if you had to go back and try and fix something and match that color mm -hmm. at that point you're going to have to mix it a little tiny bit lighter and then feather it out so right. it's noticeable that's about yeah. the only way you can that's why generally when i'm painting one of my paintings i'll i'll have a specific color that's kind of the basis of everything mm -hmm. like jack on the rocks has a lot of the blue gray and i'll mix a big batch of it Mm -hmm. Then I'll take parts of that out to add different colors to it, so it ha has that foundation. So it's mm -hmm. kind of the local color, and everything else, and uh, is is that darker, lighter, or whatever like that. Right. Yeah. I I love this discussion because I I get questions a lot of times about how do you compensate for the uh, the drying of the acrylic colors going darker. And you, you're the first person who said it really, really makes a difference when you're trying to mix that color up again. Exactly. That that is really good. Good point for artists. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's that's great. And in fact, one of my workshops is practical paint mixing, where I provide the student with a canvas board. Imagine a domino where the top square is filled with color. That's color that I've painted. Mm -hmm. And I ask the student to match that color exactly. And I always tell them, I don't care if it ends up darker. I don't want it to end up lighter, if possible. Uh -huh. So okay. that way, if they match it exactly, and it looks great, but it ends up drying a little darker, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's a good assignment. That is a good assignment. And I've seen you in action with students uh, <laughs> in your, in your uh, workshops and just a wonderful positive approach with your students and the results that you you have from them are amazing just amazing well your name came up a couple times here of late i was teaching really? uh, i was subbing for a painting and says oh do you know ken's work and i said yes and they said, he's an amazing teacher you know and so <laughs> i just wanted to do a shout out to that because uh Thanks. you know you are an amazing teacher and uh you're very willing to to share everything you know oh so, yeah yeah oh definitely I, I get great joy in watching especially beginners i like I, I like helping all levels but i like the beginners getting them started mm -hmm. and i basically one of the rules is there's no contract to the reference photo right it doesn't exactly. have to be precise and in fact right. it usually is much better if it's not precise i agree a hundred percent yeah yeah you know, use it as a starting point. And, you know, I mean, if you're going to do a portrait from somebody, you have a reference photo, you know, you're kind of locked into the anatomy of that, right? You know, you, you know. but I also, you know, look at other photos and my in a mirror, so I can see the anatomy and of it. So, yeah, different ways of observation is important. Mm -hmm. I love teaching, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it shows. It definitely. What What are some of the, you, you mentioned you're going to be doing some more workshops. Can you tell us a little more about all that? Um, well, I'm hoping to do practical color mixing. Okay. Kind of what we were just talking about. Yes. Love it. Um, acrylic painting fundam fundamentals, mm -hmm. where I start out by, I also have these canvas panels with light light blue drawings on them that I have the students learn each brush. Because oh. one thing I learned is most students in other classes, they they somehow don't get taught what each brush does. Mm -hmm. You're right. So I guide them through, here's what a liner brush does, this is what a filbert does. So they learn the tools. You can't build yeah. a house mm -hmm. until you learn how to use the tools to build it. So that's one of the uh, workshops. Then the, I want to do an open acrylics, which would mm -hmm. be more of a, more of a one day or probably just, uh -huh. you know, the different principles of working with open acrylics. 
Um, and I know you know a lot about that because I know you work with Golden. Yep. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm loving that you're loving go open by Golden too. <laughs> I love that. And I'm sure I'll be contacting you soon about some. Oh, yes. We'll fix you right up. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm looking at doing some possible private lessons as well. Okay. And and one other class I've, I've been toying with is uh, the business of, of being an artist. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and, I'll, uh, I'll be taking that from you, Ken. <laughs> yeah, we can all use that. That I'll never gets old, does it? <laughs> even though I've taught it, I'm going to take I was going to say, Armin, I was hoping to work with you on that because, <laughs> because we all muddle through all the different things. That, oh, we do. Beyond yeah. doing the artwork. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's very time consuming, you know? And so, uh, yeah. you know, would I rather be drawing or painting? Of course. But, you know, I'm, I'm also a communicator. And if, if the painting just sits there or the drawing just sits there, I'm not communicating to anybody, am I? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's got to go out there and it's got to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I, I am. These topics all sound just great. Where will folks be able to, to learn more in the, you know, where to sign up? You're in the Midwest, you're in Detroit, Michigan. So right. will they be in your area? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't do zoom unfortunately uh -huh. it's so tough to do color on zoom right um i'm trying to get my studio i have to do some uh, renovation to get water to a certain area in my studio okay. where i can have it in studio uh -huh. so right now i'm looking at doing workshops at different venues mm -hmm. uh, atelier school of art where i used to teach i'm hoping to do workshops there awesome. and, and other places that uh it could be even some community or senior homes whatever Sure, sure. Right. Get yourself some venues. Right. I may have a, a thought on a couple that you should reach out to. That'd be uh, great. Yeah. I'll send those to you. And uh, because these are great, great topics. Um, what, you know, so we've heard a little bit about future paintings, future workshops. Where else do you see yourself heading in the next couple of years or so? Oh, wow. Hmm. That's a that's an interesting question. Well, that, uh, that came about by you saying at the very beginning you gave yourself a three year plan, and I thought, hmm, that's kind of cool. But maybe <laughs> maybe you're at the stage where it just flows naturally into 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 place. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything concrete. I I think part of it is just the drive to get better. Um, mm -hmm. You know, belonging to the national. Uh, Oil and Acrylic oh, yes. Society, uh, Painter Society, and also the International Guild of Realism. Mm -hmm. Because I'm around, I get to see other artists with Igor, the International Guild of Realism. I get to see other realists. So I get to look at themes and techniques and stuff. And one of the reasons I joined them was I'd like to get my paintings out there and just mm -hmm. competitive spirit of I don't need to be first, but I like to compete and I like to, to see how, you know, my paintings do out there. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, a, there's thousands of great artists and I have no aspiration to be a great artist, so mm -hmm. to speak, but I like being around other artists. I like to see what they're doing. Um, Good point. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you don't, you don't, it's not like I'm going to be a great artist someday. It's like, I could be a great artist someday, mm -hmm. right? right? And if you have that, it's a road, you know? Yeah. So, um, do you travel to their, do they have conferences and, uh, or is a lot of it online now? A lot of it's online. Um, they do have some exhibits. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I'm, I'm on a budget now as far as trying to go to all over the country, oh, you know? Yeah. So, we are too. <laughs> yeah yeah it's not easy being an artist that way that's right so i you know i someday i hope to get out to like i think new york is where one of the uh igor exhibits is mm -hmm. but uh yeah I, I use it just as a as a way to like a carrot right yes you know, to, to motivate myself mm-hmm yeah, a certain theme will come up or a show, and you'll you'll deliberately put that in your work schedule. Do, and you ever see a time when the jacks are done, and you got to come up with something else, or is this? 
<laughs> well, starting late in life with as many as I have uh, on the list, I probably could paint them till the till I die. But uh, <laughs> but I do have a couple of other. I'm I'm I am branching out, just starting on uh, doing some cars. Mm -hmm. Partly because there's chrome oh. on them, and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's my uh, you know my hometown. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Detroit. Yep. And. And I am going to be painting some of those Detroit Coney dogs. I've already, I did one. There you go. Well, I'm you getting know, hungry. Got to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. great. Well, Ken, this has just been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Is there anything you would like to add that we haven't hit on in this interview? Not that I can think of. I mean, other than uh, it's great talking to two artists that I admire really oh, greatly. And, and, you. uh, it's amazing to know of an abstract and a realist all in one house. Co cohabiting together. Yeah, that, yeah. that always Surviving? works perfect. That always works perfectly, by the way, Ken. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's always perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. No, I had a great time. Thanks. Oh, we did too. Thank you so much. Armin, any last thoughts? No, I mean, uh, I always love when I see your work on online and uh, new pieces mm -hmm. that come up and and once in a while we'll just call each other and chat and uh uh about different things right. art related and uh, just keep on working just keep on creating i think uh you're an you're an amazing painter and your ideas are 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 wonderful and mm -hmm. you know thank you yeah thank i'm you. looking forward to seeing those workshops popping up we'll get some people in there that'd be okay. great i'll <laughs> okay. let you know you all right Ken. you Bye, take everybody. care now you Bye -bye. too. Bye-bye. Thank you to our sponsor, Golden Apple Studio and Residency. The residencies provide dedicated time and space in which visual artists and writers may pursue their work in a beautiful setting located about an hour north of Bar Harbor, Maine, on the remote and rugged shore of Ripley Cove. Shelley and Greg Stevens' commitment to inviting artists to flourish at their amazing property is well known by the artists who have attended the residencies for over 14 years. Looking ahead to summer of 2025, I encourage you to consider gifting yourself with your time to flourish. Learn more at goldenapplestudio.com and email director and working artist Shelley Stevens with your questions and scheduling inquiries at snstevens at goldenapplestudio.com. That's snstevens at goldenapplestudio.com. Thanks so much, Shelley. Thank you for listening. You can find our past and future episodes at anchor.fm, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook page, Art Ladders, The Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. Special thanks to our producer, Taylor Kramer of Cold Shower Media. And check out our websites, ValerieAllenArt.com, ArminMersman.com. Stay creative, stay curious, and we'll see you next time.